Hey everyone, we are back with another episode of the Rodeo Kids podcast. I'm your host, Camry Rorda, and we are glad you are here. Whether it's your very first time or you're coming back for more, we are glad you are here. We thank you for your support. We encourage you to make sure you hit that follow button and give us a share at the end of this podcast because you are going to want to let other people know about this. Every Thursday, we release a new episode of the Rodeo Kids podcast. Our intention behind this is, of course, to inspire and to share stories and to have conversations with people who are talented, who are moving forward, and who have something to offer that we all might like to learn from. But it's also to help us grow our circles because we've all heard that who we surround ourselves with matters. And every podcast episode that we do with world champions, business owners, authors, pastors, they all say who we surround ourselves with matters. And that includes who we listen to. So we want to provide you with amazing guests who get to be part of your circle because by listening to this, you invite them into your world, into your brain, into your mind. We hope that that helps you perform at a better level both inside and outside of the arena because we're all in it together and we want to offer that support for you. To introduce this week's podcast guest brought to you by Rodeo Kids team leader, Claire Powell from Florida. She chose to interview a young lady who is making a statement. Bailey Cho has been in the barrel racing scene for quite some time, but she really made a name for herself this year, winning the rookie of the year in not one country, but two making it to the NFR and finishing second in the average. This lady is on fire and she comes to us today in the passenger seat of her truck parked on the side of the road, willing to share her knowledge and just her advice as to how to become successful in this industry as a barrel racer and as a person. Here are some tips and tricks to being on the rodeo road as a rookie and even as a professional, as well as how to take care of your horse, some tips on keeping them sound and making sure that they're firing on all cylinders, and not to mention some amazing advice that I've never heard before that will stick with you and really transform the way you think about things with your mental game. Now, without further ado, we'd like to introduce Rodeo Kids team leader, Claire Powell, and her guest, Bailey Choate, to the Rodeo Kids podcast. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. Bailey, we want to welcome you to the Rodeo Kids podcast. We have today uh, Claire Powell, our Rodeo Kids team leader from Florida. She got to pick another amazing guest to interview and to learn from this year um, on the Rodeo Kids podcast. One of our big goals is just to learn from the best because we all know that who we surround ourselves with really matters. And that includes who we listen to, who we watch and all of that. So with the podcast, we just like to um, open that door so we can surround ourselves with the people who inspire us, who have shown us that crazy things can be done. Um, and we just like to hear their stories. So Claire has chosen Bailey Cho, and I'm going to turn this over to Claire to take over and uh, conduct this podcast today. Thank you. Um, I'm Claire. I'm from Florida, and I'm 
really excited to have you on here today. So we'll get started with some questions. My first question is, how did you get started in rodeo and how did you get to where you are today? So I grew up around horses. My mom used to barrel race when she was younger. And so from the time that I could sit in the middle of a horse, my mom had me going around the barrels. Um, And, you know, it just kind of went from there. I started out on ponies. And then when I was like like four or five, my mom put me on my first big horse. And everyone was convinced that she was going to get me killed (laughs) because he was strong. And like I won like fifth on him at the IBRA Nationals when I was five years old. But he Mm -hmm. would, like, drag my mom. Anyway, so everyone was convinced that she was going to get me killed on that horse. And then, you know, I went from there. I had fun buying horses out of the cell barn. Um, Like, one of the best horses I ever had was $300 out the kill pen. (laughs) And she, I, like, won the Georgia State on her and everything. She was awesome. And so we just kind of had fun, you know, when I was younger. And then when I was in eighth grade, I was also, I played basketball. And I absolutely loved basketball. Um, and so when I was in eighth grade going into high school, my mom and dad sent me down and they were like, um, you have to make a choice. You can either go play ball and we'll support you 100% and have every personal trainer in the country and you can go do that. Or you can go barrel race and we'll support you 100% and give you everything to go to that. And so it was not an easy choice, um, but I love horses. And so I looked at it as you know, and when I get through college playing ball, they're going to pat me on the back and say, thank you for playing, have a good life. Whereas if I can take horses, I can make it my whole life, you know? And so I chose the horse route and, you know, it's been, I sacrificed a lot. Um, you know, like I didn't do the traditional thing. I was pulled out of school and I was homeschooled and, and going into high school and, you know, I didn't get to go to the proms and all that because I was at a rodeo. Um, and so it was it was definitely a lot of sacrifice um, as a normal teenage life is projected to be. I didn't have that. Um, but I also worked really hard and I had a lot of support behind me and I was able to do what I did at 18 years old, which was go pro and break the rookie record. Um, I was the only rookie to ever win the rookie of the year in two countries the same year. And um and make the years. It was special. I'm thankful for everything, but it definitely wasn't easy. Yeah, well, horses was definitely the right choice. <laughs> You've done awesome. Um, well, you had a pretty inspiring rookie year. Did you start your rookie year with intentions to make the NFR, or did that all just kind of fall into place for you? No, I had zero intentions of making the NFR. So I'm the kind of person, I have my super big goals and I have my reality goals. So let's say my five-year goal would have been the finals and my reality goal, the goal that I would be working on in the moment was rookie of the year. So that's what I have everything laser focused on. And so, and of course you want to shoot big, but you also don't want to overload yourself. Um, So last year I was focusing strictly on rookie of the year. Um, I really didn't pay attention to a whole lot to the world standings. Um, if you've read and listened to some of my stuff in the past, you would know that my rookie tier, my rookie year started anything but great and ended in a fairy tale. And so it was kind of crazy. It went, it was like bipolar almost. Like the first half of the year was absolutely terrible, and I didn't even want to go to another rodeo. And the second half of the year, I was sitting at the finals and one second average, and I was just like, like this is crazy, you know, because 
when we started this, you know, I didn't have $500 one till like, I think April, March or April, Radio Austin, whatever that was, like March or April last year. And like, wasn't in the rookie standings, wasn't even in the top 150 probably of the world standings, like nowhere near it. And so, um, but you know, it, I just kept going. I was literally, I was in Montgomery, Alabama and I'd hit a barrel to be winning it. And I was like, I'm going home. Like, I'm tired of rodeo and my horses are tired. You know, and that was another thing. I didn't have rodeo horses. Um, everything I was riding, we've had since they were three and, and brought along. So that was another hard thing, you know, when you're having to run against four and $500,000 horses. <laughs> and, you know, and you're on something that you've kind of, you know, Dash, Allen, Cassie Mowry started him. And then he w- went a little crazy. And so then Allen had to fix him and had him till he was you know four or five and then I got back on him and went and rodeo went straight to rodeo and on him um and then Boozer of course I trained him and brought him up since he was three-year-old so it was that was another hard thing was I'm very close to those horses like they were more than horses to me so when I saw that they weren't just enjoying their job because it was becoming so frustrating I was like I'm going home like you know I I'm done and so on my way home from Montgomery uh WPRA called and said hey there's a spot at rodeo austin can you be here and i was like yeah it's on my way home sure i'll be there and then sure enough um rodeo austin was the rodeo that turned my year around and then it just went from there and and it was crazy how fast one rodeo turned my whole year around that's goosebumps i know that's crazy um well like you said you didn't have like rodeo or finished horses did you ever wish that you had more seasoned horses or do you think that gave you kind of an edge that other people didn't have? It was, um, it was a give and take. So yeah, when I was going to these rodeos, my horse was running there and throwing his ears up at the banners and going, Oh my Lord, or, or, you know, <laughs> freaking out. I was like, you know how nice it would be to just have to get on a 10 year old rodeo horse and not have to worry about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so nice right now. But then again, it helped me in a way because those horses I was riding, when I get on those horses, I can almost tell you the run they're going to have before they ever go in the arena, you know, mm-hmm. because I've pretty every trip they've took down the alleyway, I've been on their back. So that gave me an advantage to know how I needed to adjust my skills as a jockey to be able to give them the best opportunity to put them in the winner's circle. Because I can tell you, like, if I get on Boozer and he's walking around with his head down and he's like, I'm over this, I can tell you I'm about to have to ride that sucker for everything he's worth because he he's just over it, you know? But if I get on him and he's, like, bouncing off the walls and running off of me in the warm-up pen and running over people, I'm like, okay, I need to ride a little bit more conservative today because we have a little fire in our butt and we're going to go fast. So, you know, and it's the same way with Dash. Like, so it gives me that advantage. And even when I'm running, I know the adjustments that I can make in, I know, half a second to a second. That's not going to mess them up. But I know I can make those adjustments to make my run a little bit better. So that side helped me. But it also, at times, was like, man, I wish I had to finish rodeo horses when, you know, like the other rookies that I was having to compete against and stuff were, you know, back in these high dollar horses off the trailer and going in there and kicking my butt and putting half a second on me. I'm like, this really stinks, but it turned around in the end and and I'm thankful for it. And, you know, and I get to have that bond with those horses that not a lot of people get to have. Yeah. It seems like it paid off for you. 
what are some of the hardest battles that you fought mentally and as an athlete in rodeo and how did you get past those? So rodeo is so much of a mental game. You know, I have a saying it's called be water. And when I was in my really bad time of my rookie year in like January, February, one of my sponsors was like, you need to live by the saying be water. And I was like, you know, that's the last thing I want to hear right now. Some motivational quote, because I am getting my butt kicked everywhere I'm going, spending thousands of dollars, not winning a dollar back. Like, and so I did not take it into consideration and I was beating myself before I ever even entered the arena, you know, and I didn't notice that until later when I started to change my mindset, but it took me six months to let that set in and change it. And I will tell you, Having a good mindset is the best thing that you can do for yourself. And it doesn't matter if you know you're not going to win. You have to tell yourself, I'm going to win. My horse is the fastest horse here. You know, we didn't come to lose. We came to win. And even if you don't, it's okay. But you have to go into your run with that mentality or the mentality of, you know, you have to adapt and overcome. So one of the best scenarios that I can give to people is I was in Wainwright, Alberta. And it was the finals. So I had won second in the long ground. I'd made the finals. And I was going in to make my run. I was riding dash. And my stirrup snapped in half, like, at the top. How it happened, I have no clue. In the alley, like, they're calling my name. And I'm in the alleyway. And my stirrup falls off. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a stirrup. The pickup man behind me is like, your stirrup. And I was like, I don't have time for this. And I didn't want to think I'm going to fall off. I didn't think I just lost my stirrup. I didn't think I need to pull up. I don't need to make this run. Literally, all I told myself was be water. And I didn't know what that, I like still hadn't put in perspective what it meant, but whatever, for whatever reason, that came to my mind. And so I make the run. I win the finals. I go out there, you know, and my mom comes running out and I'm like, hey, go get my stirrup. I'm going to go get my buckle, but go get my stirrup. And she was like, what? And I was like, I didn't have a stirrup. Like, go find it. <laughs> she was like, oh, my gosh. But so then I was like, why did that come to my mind? And so I thought about it before I made my post on Facebook because I was like, this has something to do with, you know, why I was able to do that. And so water adapts to whatever is in front of it, you know. So my stirrup falls off in the alleyway. Oh, well, adapt. And so water takes the shape of whatever you pour it in. So if you try to pour water into a star container, it's going to take the shape of a star. But if you try to put a concrete square into a car star container because you're hard-headed, it's not going to go. You're, you're not going to be a star. So that's the kind of the best way that I could put it into perspective was just adapting and overcoming to what's around you, you know, kind of what you're handed in life. You know, I was handed one, one stirrup, but you made it work. And so that's a best way and like the best mental tip that I could give someone because it helped me so much I love that I I heard your um you made a video with that audio and I heard it at a hard time mentally and that it really helped me a lot get through some some battles um so being 19 and making the NFR did you ever feel intimidated um and how did you deal with the pressure I feel like that'd be a lot of pressure (laughs) So this is going to sound absolutely crazy, (laughs) but I love high pressured runs. Like I don't get nervous. I don't nothing. I absolutely love it. 
Um, so I was so excited to make 10 runs under that much pressure. Um, like you can, I can go to the local jackpot and I'm not even joking. I'll run in the 3d and just absolutely do terrible because I do so much better under pressure, which is like opposite, which helps me. Um, and I've always been that way since I was little. Um, like I will qualify back like at those super shows, I'll qualify back in the 2d and come in there and be able to win the finals. But it's because I do better under pressure. Um, and I do not know how, I don't have any way to tell you how, um, other than I've done it my whole life. Um, so I was super excited, um, to come to that big of a place under that much pressure. Um, that got me going. I wasn't never nervous. Um, I never got nervous. Not one time standing in the tunnel, listening to everything. I never got nervous. Um, Doing bad never crossed my mind. Um, I was just so thankful that I had made it there that I don't think I really cared. I was like, I made it here and whatever. Um, one night I did have to hairspray myself to my saddle um, because I decided to wear leather pants. And everyone told me all day that I was going to fall off, that it was a terrible idea. And I did get in my own head on, I think it was round eight or round nine. I don't remember. Um, I did get in my own head in round eight. And I was like, everyone had me convinced I was going to fall off. So I did make my dad carry a hairspray down the alleyway and I hairsprayed myself to my saddle. Um, but that was the only time I got nervous. I really wasn't worried about having a bad run. I was just worried about falling off. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a little. That kind of reminds me of when people talk about like, oh, you can't wear yellow or you can't have a $50 bill in your pocket or you can't put your hat on the bed. Like that's all just stuff you fill in your head that that's your self-limiting beliefs. That's not necessarily true at all. And like leather pants, like, yes, they might be a little bit slicker. So you need to take that, but into consideration, but it's just like riding in a rough out saddle versus a suede saddle. Like it doesn't necessarily mean one thing or another. It just depends on how good of a rider you are. Right. And like I said, I didn't, that once never crossed my mind until I had to go to the, all the autograph signings every day. And everyone told me all day long that that was a terrible idea that I was going to fall off. And, like, when I put my outfit on that morning, I was not even worried about that. That never once crossed my mind. So, the impact of other people almost cost me getting in my own head at the finals. <laughs> to the point had I had to myself to my saddle. <laughs> no, I had funny. a lightning bolt outfit. And they were, like, silver, like, 10-man-looking leather pants that went with the lightning bolts. Yeah. You definitely I have some fun style. Wore... Oh, yeah. I wore them at the American, too just to like make everyone mad again because everyone gave me so much crap about it at the NFR and so I was like I'm gonna do it at the American too <laughs> prove you wrong <laughs> I love it your outfits are awesome <laughs> someone asked your tips for rodeoing as a rookie and then how did you stay so consistent with your runs at the NFR so tips for rodeoing as a rookie um surround yourself with good people like I cannot preach that enough and I'm just going to be 100% honest rodeo road is rough um it's tough not everyone wants you to win and they'll be your friend to your face and turn around and stab you in the back like my horses have been tied to fences in the middle of the night um my pins have been taken down like people are, are a little bit rude out here and so you have to have your guard up never let your guard down um you know and always don't ever I never get too far away from like my horses like I can literally see them right now <laughs> um so 
I always stay close to them. I never let your never let your guard down and know the people that you're around. Um, like I have one best friend, uh, two best friends that I know that I would trust them to do anything with my horses or anything, but that's it because you, you find out who your friends are on the road and, and it's, it's not always easy. It's not always glam. Um, you know, you, you eat out of a gas station a lot and <laughs> live on little sleep and a lot of energy drinks. Um, so, and another thing is like, have someone with you who you can trust, um, have someone with you who you can sleep while going down the road. Um, because you don't get, you know, you're traveling a lot. So sleep is important, but it also becomes secondary when you're not with someone who you can trust because you're constantly have to worry about the horses, they're driving, are we going to run out of fuel, like all that. Um, so definitely having someone around you can trust, knowing who's around you, never letting your guard down. And if you could like find someone who's been there, done that, but is not competing against you. Does that make sense? So find an older person who's been there, done that, and but it's not competing against you that can help you because entering's tough um that was probably one of the hardest things for me was entering because when you enter you have to plan it and like strategically plan out what you're going to select your preference as as to where you're going to be on the road at that time to where you're going next you need to select this preference um so ann thompson was my um uh, mentor inner scheduler <laughs> person I called the life crisis (laughs) um she was that person for me so I highly suggest having that person too someone who's been there done that and can really help you and not hinder you going down the road um and another thing your rookie year it's going to be a mental game it's not going to be easy um it's going to be one of the hardest things that you've ever done and it's kind of comes down to only the stronger going to survive if you you got to tough it out you got to grind it out and stay out there um and it's not always easy there are days where you're gonna be like why am I even do this and like I was on the road for 107 days straight last year and I was like literally marking the days off on a calendar because I couldn't wait to get home it Mm. was hard um but I had good people um my mom and dad were able to come out with me um so it was hard but you you get through it and and you you'll be thankful for it in the end i guess <laughs> um but yeah that's my biggest advice and um and then consistency like i said i feel like my biggest thing with consistency is because i knew my horses so well um i knew exactly where i could grab him and i knew exactly where he was going to go um like every single night that i ran him he would turn the first barrel and throw his ears up at the second barrel every single night and i was like why are we doing this? Like <laughs> you've been in here 10 nights now still on night 10. He still did it. Um, but I think it's being able to, cause I know him so well, I was able to trust him. And, um, that second barrel at the Thomas and Mack, it literally feels like you're going to hit the wall. Um, like even when you're practicing, like it, it feels like you're going to hit the wall. Um, so being able to have a horse that's thrown his ears up, but being able to trust him up in there, um, definitely helped me in that scenario. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that'd be hard to do when you're going that fast making a decision. When you're you're starting these horses at three years old, you know, two, three, four years old, how long does it take to make a horse? So every horse is different, and I feel like my training method is very different. Um, I live, I train my horses by the KISS method. It's called Keep It Simple, Stupid. Um, it's very dummy down. Um, 
when I go around the when I go around the barrels, whether I'm at a walk or trot, I'm doing the same thing. Um, if we're walking and trying, we're staying out. We're being so correct, like almost perfect. Um, and when I'm walking and trotting, because that is my time that they need to take everything in and be 100% listening to me and what I'm asking. Um, I have a certain way that I go around the barrels, a certain way that I position their bodies. And if you notice, my horses pretty much all have the same style, very stiff, very in and out. And I try to teach my horses that no, because, okay, so here's what's going to help you like in a rodeo, um, whether you're training your own or schooling an open horse, um, they need to know that no matter where they come into the barrel. So let's say the first barrel sitting out in the middle of nowhere and they get a little down the pen that it's okay. They need to know not where they come in the barrel, but where they need to finish the barrel. And so that's the thing that I kind of teach my colts when they're super young. Like I'll let them mess up. I'll let them get down the pen. I'll let them step past a barrel. I'll let them make mistakes. As long as when they get on the backside, they're finishing. I want them straight as an arrow. I want to have to lift my leg. I want to have to not be able to fit a piece of paper between me and the barrel. Um, because that's what sets you up for your next turn. And so I kind of say, okay, well, if you get down the pin here, you got to be right here on the backside. Like, no matter what, over-exaggerate the backside of a barrel. Um, so that's kind of how I start them. And then when I'm, like, loping or cruising through, I am so consistent. I ask the same thing every single time at the same exact place. And so I think that helps me when I get into places that they don't know, unfamiliar environments. They don't know their surroundings, but they know what I'm going to ask of them. They know that I'm going to ask them to do this at the same exact place, no matter where we go. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that really helps them. I really like the the focus on the finish. Like, I don't think that that is a commonly taught method, but I think that's true in everything, you know, in your experience making the NFR your rookie year last year, like as long as you stayed focused on the finish, that's when things happen. But if you focus on the the mess that can happen in the process, then you don't necessarily finish strong and line yourself up for the next one. Um, so whether it's barrel racing or life, I think that's a good, good analogy, uh, but especially for those horses. And I love that you let them make mistakes because I know a lot of times we just get to where we want everything perfect all the time, but we end up creating more bad habits and trying to create perfection instead of just focusing on certain points that we want to hit so that we can still get through it. Because if we just focus on the mistake at one barrel, then we've messed up the other two barrels or the last barrel or the finish or whatever it is. So I love that, that that's the way that you look at it and that's the way you train. I'm going to have to adopt that. I've always rode um, kind of the problem horses. Um, everything I've rode has always never been somebody else's pick, I'll say. Um, and I know that, like, I am not good at everything. If my mom tried to make me perfect at everything I did, I would hate her. I would hate life. I'd be like, why am I doing this? And you have to think about it in a horse's perspective. They do not understand why they're running around these three barrels. And we can say, yeah, they love their job, blah, 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 blah. But really, at the end of the day, they're doing it because you are asking them to do it. They're not benefiting from it. They don't understand a belt buckle. They don't understand a jacket, a check, none of that. All they understand is where their next meal is coming from and how much you, you care for them and how much attention that you're giving them. Um, And so I try to keep that in mind that they don't have to do this. They're doing this because I'm asking them to do this. They're doing this because they have a good heart. They don't really understand and comprehend why, you know, 
So I keep that in mind. So some of my horses are not that great. You know, they're not great at setting themselves up. They're not great. But if I can make them great at one thing that can set me up for the next thing, I'm okay with that. And so that's another way. Like my horses kind of come on at their own speed. Um, like, for example, the horse that I have this year that I'm for charity in, he's blind in one eye. He's sway backed. Um, he used to not even turn around to the right. Um, and I absolutely adore him. I love him to death. And I think that he's going to be a winner one day. It's just going to take me a little bit longer. Um, but that's kind of my goal with him is to just prove everyone wrong. Um, but, yeah, I've always kind of connected with the horses that weren't everyone else's first choice. Um and so I think that's one thing that I took in perspective was if my mom tried to make me do everything that's perfect, I would hate her, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's why these horses weren't, my horses are all very opinionated. And if you follow me on social media, especially Boozer, he's everyone's favorite, you will know. Um, and I'm very opinionated. So I can kind of relate to them. I'm like, I'm not perfect at everything I do. And I know that, but and neither are these horses. So I'm not going to ask them to be, you know, I let them make mistakes. I let them find themselves, you know? But if they know one thing, they, they're going to know what I ask for them and they're going to know where to finish the barrel. That's all I ask is that they listen to me somewhat. Um, like I say, and even when I'm running horses, I always say when I'm making a run and I'm running when something's up and I'm running for a lot of money, I'm not going to be perfect either because when my money's up, I'm going to jockey. So I might lean a little. I might grab them a little early to try to get that extra step, you know, but I would never do that until I know they're ready for that, you know we have that connection and I'm able to put that pressure on them and they can handle it. How do you go from training to jockeying? Like, I know personally, I struggle with like, if I'm training for a long time and then it's like, oh, it's time to put it to the test. Then it's hard to get back into jockey mode. It's hard. Um, I'm not perfect at it. I struggle with it too. Um, you know, and that's why I think that my horses struggled last year with my rookie year because I was I, I was trying too hard and I was over like I would go out and I was riding them every day and I was just trying to be perfect and this is going against everything that I just said okay <laughs> it's going against everything I just said I was literally trying to be perfect and I was like over training And so then when I was making my runs, my horses were just like kind of tucked up and like over listening, over turning, over everything. And they were trying too hard. I was trying too hard. And when you try too hard, it just don't work. Like you have to have fun with it. So that's why if you watch some of my runs that I'm winning and you're like, how did that just happen? Because a lot of them can be a little bit reckless. And you're just like, how did that just happen? Um, That's why, because... I don't make them be perfect, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, barrel horses have to walk in the alleyway. They have to be like mind their P's and Q's outside. My horses act like feral monkeys outside. Like they're wild. And I'm like, cool. You want to be wild? Be wild, you know, and I don't try to like tame them and control them. I let them be their true authentic selves, whatever they want to be. I mean, if people knew how Boozer acted 90% of the time, they would be like, you need to take that horse to the kill pen. <laughs> yeah. His name would that be reminds, Elvis. But... That reminds me of Randy Prindle's horse. I don't know if you're familiar with that horse, but he's like a nut and bucks are off. I don't know that he does it as much anymore, but like he was wild for a long time, but she made some smoking runs on him. And same thing, just oh. let him be who he was. 
the mare that I won the world on on Youth World, her name is Side Chick. And that horse bucked me off more than any horse. She bucked during runs. Every time you stepped on her to warm her up, that's how I got her. Because the girl was like, she's going to get someone killed. Um, and she, every, if you got on her and she was bucking you off. Like, one time she bucked me, wins the barrel race, comes out, turns right, and bucks me in the saddle and everything off. Like, rolls her shoulders and takes off through the parking lot. Um, but yeah, I won the world on that mare. It, she was amazing. But she was rank. Wow. Crazy. My question is, what do you do to make your horses feel good when you have to make runs several days in a row? Um, so I use a lot of different things. Um, so when they're when they're stalling, I switch out between ceramic and magnetic therapy. Um, so I put ceramics on them pre-run or like the night before. And then when I go and feed that morning, I'll put their magnetic blankets on. And then after post-run. I'll leave their magnetic blankets on and then switch back to ceramics. So I switch out between those a lot. Um, I use Bequan Essentials Poultice, um, which I actually make it. And I use that on their full body, like when they're traveling or stuff. Um, and then we use Magic Cushion in their feet um, to keep them feeling good. Um, I like to use XTI lights. Um, I have them on my trailers and I have stall amps and everything. And basically it's just a pulse alternating wavelength system. It helps them rest. It helps with recovery, blood flow. Um, it increases serotonin and decreases dopamine, whatever the happy one is. It does that. Um, anyway, <laughs> it does all that. And so that's kind of what I do going down the road. And honestly, I just listen to my horses. Um, I'm not afraid to give them medicine. A lot of people are like, oh my gosh, horses don't need butte and banamine and blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, that's like saying athletes don't need Advil. Okay. Um, I'll give them some vitamins. I'll give them some stuff to help them feel good because it takes so much out of them traveling. Um, and, you know, a lot of people frown upon that. And I really have never understood that because, like I said, your pro football team, they take vitamins, you know, they run IVs, they take what would be Advil, Tylenol, which is our butin banamine. Like, I I give them that. And, you know, and I think that that's what they need to feel good. And so that's what I do. Um, also, making sure they drink enough water is important. Um, like, I put automatic waters in my trailer before I left last summer because I want them to have access to water as if they were at home. Um, so I think that's another thing that really helped them. I didn't realize that they had automatic waters now. Yeah, they have them in the trailer. I have a system put in my trailer like that you would put in a barn. Okay. That's pretty awesome. How many horses do you haul with? Um, I try to just take three on the road. Um, I try to not to overload myself. Um, so like last summer, I had Boozer, Preacher, and Dash on the trailer. And that's who I have with me right now. Oh, well. um, I do have another question. Um, what do you do like in the practice pen? Um, I, like I said, I train by the kiss method. I don't do a lot of drills. I don't drill them to death. I don't do any of that. Um, cause like I said, they don't understand why they're running barrels. So we're drilling them to death. They're going to be like, why are we doing this? Like, how am I applying this? Um, sometimes if I have just, like, one particular problem that I'm having, I'll work on it 
away from the barrels. So like what I mean by that valve horse that's on to like shoulder in or get short on me. I'll work on it away from the barrels, like making them just kind of step off my inside line and my foot. Um, you know, like I'll trot straight lines randomly around the arena and then just ask them to turn, but keep their body moving in the turn and then trot back off, you know. Um, so I don't drill them a lot on the barrels. I fix a lot of my stuff away from the barrels and then go back to it. Um, yeah, I mean, other than just keeping them in shape, as long as they're doing what I ask, I don't drill them a whole lot. As we um, get into the last quarter of this podcast, uh, what are some of the things that have kept you motivated, you know, when you're struggling and when you're out there on the road for a long time and, um, you know, fighting that, that rodeo road, how do you stay motivated? Um, having good people around you. Um, that's, I can't preach it enough how important having good people around you is. Um, because you become who you hang around. You know, if you hang around negative people, you're going to become negative. Um, So having good people around you is important. And keeping yourself in a good place is also important because your horses feed off of you. So, you know, they they don't understand a whole lot of what's going around, like mentally and like what's at stake. But they know how you feel. And so if I get on my horse and I'm already like agitated or I'm already mad at something or I'm like just stressed out, they know that, but then they don't understand that. So then they're going to focus less on like running barrels or what you're asking them to do and focus more as to why you're feeling like fear or stress. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, like what do we, you know, and they're going to automatically get up tight. So I try to keep you know, and so if what's causing that is the people around me, because that's usually what it comes back to, you have to eliminate that. Um, so I am more of a person like you will catch me. I always. So here's another thing that I like to do. I like to run late. And this sounds crazy. I like to run late and get my adrenaline going from the time that I get on my horse, like from saddling, like saddle in a hurry, get on, trot on there. They don't have time to think about it. And neither do I. And that's when I make my best runs is when I'm running late. And so like at the NFR, for example, the best run I made was on rookie night. I was first out in the barrels. They made us walk to the middle of the arena. And then I had to throw my stuff to Josie Connor. I was like, take this, like threw her my buckle, my jacket, my phone, my everything. I was like, take this, run back there. When I get to the thing, Dash was freaking out because they had ran a flag girl in there with him. And so he was like, like had sat back and hit his head on the panels my dad's arm was bleeding I come through the alleyway and the producer he's like you have 45 seconds to get in there you have 45 seconds and I'm running behind the stagecoach on foot like get on my horse and like their people that was behind me were freaking out because my horse was freaking out so the gate man is yelling at the other girl and they're going back and forth. I had no clue what was going on. I get on my horse and I'm like, okay, the only thing I know is running barrels. And went and I ran my fastest run of the weekend that night. And like in that high pressure, intense situations, um, that's me. So sometimes I will like lay in my trailer, not know what number I am, stress myself out, like, you know, do stuff like that to like just make myself not think about it. And then the only thing I know is running barrels. If I'm get into a state of mind where I'm overthinking, over training, I will do that. I will and like mom will be like, Bailey, they're on like ten and you're like twenty-five and I'm like, Great <laughs> and like jump on, <laughs> trot, you know, trot a few circles and go. Um, 
I don't suggest that unless you're really good at it. I'm really good at running late. Um, <laughs> but that's one thing. Like, for example, uh, the American, uh, we were in Kentucky, and I'd hit a barrel in the long round to have made the finals. And so I had to enter the redemption round. They only take, like, I think they only took, like, two from the redemption round. Um, and so I didn't know what time it started. I didn't know what number I was. I laid in the trailer and watched The Bachelor and then <laughs> finally called the announcer like have they started yet and he was like yeah I was like great and he was like you're like 40 and we're on 10 and I'm like oh my gosh it was like a mild dr- like you had to go out of the campground up to the barns threw my stuff on horse and I won the redemption round but oh yeah gosh. I was just laying there watching that <laughs> so I will do that at times like stress myself out and just like get into extreme hurry and then the only thing that I know because it's muscle memory is running barrels mm-hmm I do think that, you know, there's a lot of value in that because you quit worrying about all of the external things, quit worrying about the things happening around you. It's just like, okay, it's me and my horse and three barrels. That's all I have to worry about right now. Like that's the only thing that I can control. Everything else is kind of crazy. So, um, I can't say that I, I personally, I'm not that kind of person, but I can appreciate the times that I've been put in those situations and how, um, it definitely makes you just get laser focused on what's ahead of you. Yeah. yeah, and like a lot of people tell you, oh, sit there, think about it, talk about it, blah, 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 blah. No, I'm the complete opposite. For me to forget and be able to do that, I have to like stress me out, stress everyone else out around me, wait till the very last minute, and then just, because like when you wait till the last minute, you get stuff done, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. In that you get stuff done, like think about, you know, like if you're trying to do something like, you know, I don't know how to relate this any other way, but, you know. I, I don't know, but when you have to get something done and you wait till the last minute, you get it done somehow. And so yeah. it's the same way we're going to I, we did a podcast interview with, um, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about their rodeo coach and how, um, they're like, don't even talk to me about your run until it, a minimum or at maximum 15 minutes before, because if you're worrying about it before that, then you've already worn yourself out. You've already taken away so much of your adrenaline and your energy and all of that, worrying about all this other stuff instead of spending that time. I mean, really in any rodeo event, the maximum amount that you're going to compete um, from going down the alley to leaving the alley is like 30 seconds. So why would we spend all day spending all of our energy when we need it to be like that? And it needs to be fast. Um, It's training those energy systems, whether you're doing it physically or mentally, to be able to react fast. But if we're draining our brain and making it a marathon of a day, then we're not able to react as fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Claire, do you have any other? Which is keep it simple, stupid. I have to go around three trash cans in the middle of a big circle. It's not that hard. It's really yeah. not that hard. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> exactly. Claire, do you have any more questions? Um, I have one or two more. Um, how do you keep your horses in shape? Like, what's their workout routine, I guess? <laughs> um, so, like I said, when it's like the off season. Um, most of the time, it's just riding them. Um, nothing mm. special, long trotting, loping. Um, I like to send them to Dr. Josh Harvey and at all equine. He keeps Boozer and Dash a lot. Um, and that way they can just swim and kind of relax and have zero pressure on them. But they're still being able to be a horse, but still getting exercise. Um, whereas, like, I do feel like they feel a little bit of pressure with me. Um, like, when I'm on them, they feel like they have to do really, really good, you know, 
which I don't put that pressure on them, but I can definitely, I get that feedback from them. Um, so when I send them off, I feel like they're a lot chiller. They're able to actually just enjoy being a horse. Um, so I do that for them, letting them be like in someone else's, you know, where they don't have that for me, you know, because most of the time when I'm on them and we're about to make a run, I'm asking them for a lot. Um, so I feel like they automatically feel that extra pressure from me. So I try to take that off of them by letting them go on a vacation, you could say. Um, so that's kind of what I do in the off season. And then like when I'm on the road hard, um, you know, other than just, you know, if I need to fix some little things, I'll tune them on the barrels, but other than just riding them, um, sometimes they're allowed to ride in the arena, like before the rodeos and stuff, I'll go ride them out there. Um, but like working in the trailer is a lot of work. So I try not to exhaust their body even more, especially when it's really like a lot packed in on top of each other. Um, so most of the time when I'm on the road, it's just me taking care of them, making sure they feel good and letting them relax when they can, because it's not very often that you get to chill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then my last question, it's kind of a funny one. Um, I have a friend who's a rodeo queen and she wants to know how you keep your hair so fantastic all the time. Um, well, my hair's fake. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I lit I took my extensions out last summer and so I didn't have pretty luscious hair all summer um, because I was scared I wasn't going to be able to find someone on the road. But I think this year I'm going to um, tough it out and leave them in all summer. So <laughs> hopefully. Um, but I my hair actually holds curls really good. Um, I wash it maybe twice a week and I curl it after I wash it. Like I literally wash it before I travel and of course didn't care to fix it I was like screw it um but I will curl it after I wash it and then I don't have to curl it again for you know three four or five days because it just holds curls really good um I use a lot of dry shampoo on the road because I hate washing my hair <laughs> and so I use a lot of dry shampoo unless it's just like dirty nasty um whatever then I'll wash it but yeah a lot of dry shampoo and it holds curls really good so and it's fake, so. <laughs> yes. Okay, one of my last questions is, who has been your biggest inspiration? Oh, Lord, there's been so many people. Um, I have to think about that one for a second, because I take bits and pieces from just about everybody. Um, You know. Oh, you see my mom? <laughs> Wait. Yep. It's <laughs> <laughs> like ready to go you look um but I take bits and pieces from pretty much everybody and just kind of put them into my own way of thinking um so there has been so many people inspire me and I feel like if I like called out one person I would be leaving somebody else out mm -hmm. um well, it would be hard for me to say just one but I will say that I've taken a lot from a lot of people mm-hmm I like that answer. Yeah. Do Corey or Izzy, do you have any other questions? I don't think so. Okay. Awesome. Well, Bailey, thank you so much for joining us today. Like this was fantastic. And I feel like you have taken so much pressure off of every barrel racer to just let their horses be horses, let them make mistakes to focus on the finish and 
not be so uptight all the time for you, for us as, as barrel racers, as competitors, just as humans, and just to keep it fun and to still overcome, you know, the battles and to stick with it and to be like water. I had never heard that. And I think that that is um, something that we can all definitely, definitely take to, because I know that every one of us struggles with being a little like concrete from time to time. So thank you for all of that. And thank you for this time. And we just wish you the best of luck because um, you've got a bright future ahead of you. There's still so much for the world to offer and so much for you to share. And just like by, by partaking in interviews like this, um, you know, you're making a big difference and an impact, not only as a competitor, but just as a human by sharing your story and letting these kids um, to learn from you is just amazing. And you're impacting so many more people than just as a competitor, but just as who you are by letting your character and your personality shine through. So thank you so much for that. I think I want to say one more thing. Yeah. Um, I don't want to like perceive this persona that like everything's perfect because I was talking about this on social media the other day. Everyone has bad days, Mm -hmm. um, but also how you let it affect you makes it how bad it is. So like if you wake up in the morning and stub your toe and then you just like complain about it and worry about it, like it's almost like a domino effect. And that's what I've learned. Um, You know, like I'll share this story because I think it's funny. Like the other day I blew two tires on the car (laughs) and you know instead of letting it just like get me down because I had then had to put all four new tires on my car and I was like I didn't want to change my tires you know put four new tires on my car that day but I think if I would have just like let it keep bothering me like I've learned to laugh a lot of things off and you know at the end of the day like life is short and if you spend all your energy focusing on the bad and not learning to just laugh about terrible situations. Like, I'm terrible at that. Like, it can, the worst things can be happening to me, and I will be laughing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, oh, well, let the good times roll, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if you spend so much energy focusing on the bad, you're never going to appreciate the good. And if you start taking all the good for granted, and then the bad comes, you're not going to realize how good it was until the bad's there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I like to tell people, spend a little bit more time in the moment, appreciate the bad times because that's going to make the good times better. And that sounds so cliche to say, but I don't think a lot of people take that to heart. I feel like that phrase is thrown around so much and nobody takes it to heart. You know, you have to embrace the bad times, embrace the times when you're riding an NFR horse and they go out there and like duck the first barrel or something. Be like, well, that was fun. (laughs) I donated to the winner today, (laughs) you know, um, and I just have learned to not take things so seriously um, because I've realized how short life can be and how precious it is. And so I think that a lot of people should just, you know, learn to take the good with the bad, you know, learn to embrace it and not take everything so seriously. Because even though like a lot of people on social media was like, you know, I'll trade lives with you. You have the perfect life, blah, 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 blah. I promise you, nobody's life is perfect. I promise mm-hmm. you that happens to people every single day but it's how you react to it and how you respond to it and how you choose to act in that moment of the bad happening chooses how people perceive you you know there's very few times when you're going to catch me not laughing not having a good time like no matter what's going on around me you know we can be broke down inside a road with blown tires and no fuel and I'm still going to be like look I'm going to make a TikTok and have a good time with this like (laughs) you know because that's how it is you know bad stuff happens in life and you just have to choose to embrace it and not take it so seriously 
Yes, that is fantastic advice and so true. And thank you for being that person. You know, just like you said, it can it can look like everything's perfect and it doesn't have to be perfect to still be fun. It doesn't have to be easy to still enjoy it. Like you can have fun in the hard times and learn from them. And we're just so grateful to have you here. And we just wish you the best of luck this year. And we hope to see you at the NFR this year and in the future. Thank you so much. Thank yes. you for coming on here, Bailey. No, I enjoyed it. I love interacting with people and being around people. And, you know, if I can help someone, I am a helper. Um, so if I can help one person, two, three, that makes me happy. And it and it helps me to want to be a better person. And, and I love, like I said, I just love helping people. And, you know, if you need advice, my inboxes are open. And um, I try to respond as much as I can. Sometimes, you know, because I get, do get a lot of messages. Sometimes I get a lot behind on that. Um, but yeah. And where can they find you? Um, all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all the things. Awesome. We will make sure to give you a follow. And yeah, we look forward to, to seeing you continue growing. Another awesome podcast in the books. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you are somebody, a youth, who is like, wow, what a cool opportunity. I would love to be able to talk to world champions and NFR qualifiers and business owners and people in the industry who are influential and who have accomplished some things. And I want to learn from them too. I want to be one of those kids. You can be. You have until April 30th to sign up to become a Rodeo Kids team ambassador. Ambassador, you get to join in on these weekly podcasts with all of our awesome guests. We have monthly Zoom meetings with the whole team where we get to come together to play games and learn about the industry and just build deeper relationships with each other because competition's wonderful and rodeo is great and I love all of the opportunities that come from it. But what's it all worth at the end of the day if it's nothing more than a trophy? or money, or a number of a position on the leaderboard. We want to be more than that. We want to grow your community, and we want you to know that you have so much value to offer this world, and Rodeo Kids is a platform for you to learn and to share. So if you're interested, head on over to rodeokids.com, click the Join Now button, and sign up by April 30th to become part of the Rodeo Kids Ambassador Team. Until then, and until next week, good luck to everybody, safe travels, and God bless.